you would turn with me to Psalms, the book of Psalms, and we're going to start in Psalm 1. We're going to pass out to you a workbook. We are starting a series on the Psalms, and I am excited about this series. I am, I am in faith that this series is going to serve you and your family. Um, it is is all comprehensive. It's got all kinds of stuff in here. This is so good. So here, here's the deal with the Psalm series, okay? Um, the Psalm series is a 10-week series that we are doing in conjunction with Living Word Church and Crosspoint Church. And so the, you'll be getting workbooks, and in the workbooks it covers material that we weren't necessarily able to cover on a Sunday morning, but it's got more Psalms, it's got more reflection and more questions for application. And so this will serve you and your family in being able to better unpack the message that God is, is uh, giving to us through the book of Psalms. So there's a few different components to this, to the series. The first one is, is these workbooks. So there's five daily readings per week and you have before you weeks one through four. And so you need to get into these workbooks. These workbooks are here to serve you, like I said. So dig into the workbooks. This is going to help you. We also have, in conjunction with these workbooks, our life share groups or small groups or care groups or however you want to call them. But there are life share groups. And so if you are not part of a life share group or you just attend periodically, I would encourage you to meet every other week and you will be going over the messages and being, you're going to go over the, the stuff in the workbook. So that is a place where you are able then to bring questions. You can pray for one another. You can dialogue more about the things that God is, is saying to you and, and uh, just really do life together with other people. So I encourage you. The Life Share Groups, if you don't know where, where do I go to find that, talk to Matt, talk to myself. It's on the website. But get plugged into a Life Share Group for this series. Also, November 14. We are having a combined service at Villa Cesar. So November 14, we, are, we, won't, we will not be meeting here. We will be meeting at Villa Cesar. There's going to be the three other churches. There will be hundreds of people there. Let's have a great time, a celebration of wrapping up and concluding this series. So that is what kind of everything that's going to go into this. Also, Children's Ministry, has, they have devotion, the kids have devotionals as well. So if you've got kids in Children's Ministry, they'll be bringing home devotionals that are that work alongside what we said, but more kid-friendly. So that's what we have going on for our psalm series. I love this. If I think about digging into God's Word and just really the reality of, of real life happening, we see it in the book of Psalms. And so dig into this. Meditate on this. Chew on this. Work this over in your, in your own life. Allow these, all the things that we've provided for you to really be a catalyst for you to to get a better glimpse of Jesus Christ and to grow closer to him. So that is, that is our plan for this series. Okay, so I, the, first, the first message I gave this morning, I went way over on the introduction, so I'm going to try to condense that introduction so you guys don't get the same very long introduction. But I do want to say a couple things about the Psalms that I believe are important for us to understand as we dig into them as, um, as a... As a a way in which we can better understand what God is saying to us through people's prayers they are praying to God. 
See, most of the scripture, we feel like, oh, this is what God's saying to us. But in the Psalms, we see people speaking to God. And how do we make that our voice then speaking to God? And how is that God's voice speaking to us through people speaking to God? So it seems a little bit complicated, but I want to give us a few things to consider before we start this series that should serve you in understanding and unpacking the Psalms. So as we read the Word of God, and we've primarily been in, if you've been here for any amount of time, we've primarily been in the New Testament, and for the most part, we've been in the letters in the New Testament. And so we read um, a letter that maybe Paul has written to the church, and we unpack that and say, okay, what is Paul saying? What's the three points? What, what is he not saying? What situation is he addressing in the church? But the Psalms, we have something a little bit different because what we're dealing with is Hebrew poetry. So we read poetry differently than what we read anything else. So I would compare it to this. This isn't a perfect example, but if you read the newspaper and if you ever come to an ad in the newspaper where you're reading through it and you don't realize it's an ad until you get to a certain part and like, oh, wait, oh God, it's an ad. I remember reading newspaper and so I'm reading about this energy crisis that we're in. So I'm like, okay, we're in an energy crisis. That's not good. But they're going to, as I begin to read, they have a solution to the energy crisis. They have, um, they have these uh, small Amish men making electric heaters in a barn somewhere that you can purchase that will help this solve this energy crisis. So I'm like, oh, no way. There's somewhere in America, there's a barn full of small Amish men, and they're all making these electric heaters to help solve this energy crisis we have in America. What? This is amazing. Well, by that point, you realize well, I'm reading an advertisement, right? Now, the thing is, I, you read the rest of the advertisement. Well, I didn't, I didn't read after that, but you finish reading an advertisement differently than you would if you didn't realize it was an advertisement. So we look at a newspaper, we see an ad, we read that one way. We see the editorial, we read that another way. We see the comics, we read that another way. Because we've kind of conditioned ourselves to understand we need to read and evaluate and understand different parts of literature in different ways. Like I said, we don't read the comics, though we would read the front page of the newspaper. We understand that they're doing totally different things and saying completely different things. So that as we read the Psalms, we have to understand that we're reading poetry. This is poetry. This is Hebrew poetry. This isn't just any poetry. This is Hebrew poetry. So we need to understand the difference. So what Hebrew poetry does, it, it uses a device called parallelism. So there's this device called parallelism, which as, we, as you're going to dig in this next couple of weeks into the Psalms, you're going to see this over and over and over again. And the way this works is it takes an idea and then takes that idea and, and line by line begins to either contrast that idea with other things. So you see it's not this, but it's this, or it takes the same idea and says it, maybe two or three or maybe four different ways. So we're going to see it in Psalm 1. He's going to say something, but then he says something similar to that over and over and over again. And what he's doing is he's building a point so we understand the, the, the complexities of what he's saying and gives us a fuller picture of the one point that he's trying to make. So we read, um, we'll read this in Psalm 1. I'll point it out to you. You'll begin to see this, but this should help you as you begin to read and understand the rest of Psalms. Um, 
Another thing that the Psalms do for us is they don't always necessarily talk in a way where we would read, let's say, a letter by Paul, the Ephesians. We'll take maybe a couple verses, we'll break down, we'll make a three-point you know, conclusion on what he's saying, we'll break apart the points, we'll say he's not saying this, he is saying this. But what they do sometimes is they paint a picture for us. So they paint a picture, and in this picture is like an, call it like an icon or something, but it's, they sometimes paint a picture for us that isn't necessarily always as crystal clear of here's exactly what it means. Because it's poetry, it's not meant to be exact and like a science. It's meant to be read in a way that is less concise and more, a little more ambiguity to it. So, for instance, we all understand, we see the symbol, the Harley-Davidson symbol. Um, is it on the screen behind me? Okay, so I have to keep looking. So we see the Harley-Davidson symbol, Okay. There isn't like a three-point thesis on what it means to, to what the symbol means. But somewhere along the line, we all kind of come to a conclusion of when we see this, what that means. So it means you probably, if you, you know, associate yourself with this, you like motorcycles, you probably have some tats, you know, you've, you're, you're a gang member. No, I'm just kidding about that. But you're, you, there's all these things that go along with this symbol, Right. We don't have to really say anything. You just show a symbol, and we all got this picture in our minds of what this means. Also with the, the, the Nike swoosh, right? Um, that symbol says a lot, doesn't it? We don't define that symbol. It just says a lot by being that. And we see this in Psalm 1. He begins to talk about a tree. And it would be really nice for me as a preacher. I feel like, well, you know, Psalm 1 talks about a tree. Let's break down. What does it mean to be a tree? How do we, you know, associate ourselves with trees? And what does it mean to have roots and, and fruit and leaves and seasons and this waterway that runs next to the tree? And here's how we, you know, live our lives accordingly to be like this tree. And this is what God's saying to us. It's not so cut and dry. It's got a little more, it's got a, what a, a poetic tinge to it. And it's supposed to. And so as we begin to read this, we have to understand these are the devices that the, the writers are using to communicate to us God's word. Okay? So we're all on board for that. One other distinction that, that I would like to make that we see in the Psalms is this distinction between walking righteously and being found righteous in Christ. Okay? And so being found righteous in Christ is in which, which there is an, there's an act of God by which we, by God's grace, put our faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for our sins, taking them upon his body and dying and rising again in three days. Where we say, I, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. And at that point, when God looks at us, not only do, does he forgive us of our sins, but God credited to us Christ's righteousness, his obedience, his, his walk of obedience while he was on earth with the Father. And so he says, you are now found in Christ. Therefore, when God looks at us, he says, That's, you are righteous because you are found in my son, Jesus Christ, who was righteous. Now, we're going to make a distinction between that being found righteous in Christ and walking righteously. And I would compare this to a marriage. Now, there's different 
qualities of marriage that we see in, in all around us. Some marriages are great. Some marriages are, are rough. Some marriages, there's lots of joy. Some there's lots of, of fighting. However, the quality of marriage does not, does not mean that someone is not, in fact, married. So you may have an incredible marriage, but you're still married, just like the person with the difficult marriage. They're still married. And so there's a distinction between actually marriage and being married. Just like there's a, there's a distinction between righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus and walking righteously. And so we're going we're gonna to look at, as we look at the way of the righteous and the wicked in Psalm 1, what he's saying is, look, we, we are found in Christ as righteous, but there's a way in which we walk that we walk righteously. Okay? So I want to make that distinction. I'll make that clear. Okay, turn to Psalm 1. We're going to read Psalm 1, then we're going to, we're going to pause and we're going to pray. Psalm 1, as you can consider, would be the, the front porch of the house. Psalm 1 is the, is the invitation for us to dig into the rest of Psalms. If you think in the Psalms, there's five different books in the Psalms. It's like a house. And Psalms, Psalm 1 is this front porch that wraps around the house. It's got a swing. It's got some lemonade. It's this inviting. It is, looks great. But it, it, it is inviting us in to relationship and fellowship with God. So it's just inviting Psalm 1. Let's read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Not so, the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God, as we dig into your word this morning, we ask that your word would speak to us. God, we ask that you would help us to evaluate and discern our lives. God, are we, are we the righteous? Are we walking righteously before you? And Lord, I ask for your grace to understand your word. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to help us to understand and apply and receive with faith. And God, I pray that you would help us to remove all distractions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in the Psalms, you're going to also see this. You're going to see two roads presented to you. There's two roads in the Psalms. There's two pathways that we live our lives. There's the way of wisdom and the way of folly, the way of righteousness 
in the way of wickedness. And from the very beginning, he's beginning to ask us questions. What path are you on? Are you the righteous? Are you walking righteously? Where are you found? Where is your life? Evaluate yourselves. Find out, God, where am I? Am I walking in wisdom or folly? In righteousness or in wickedness? So there's no third, there's no third option. There's no neutrality here. There's no, there's no just, well, I'm just fine. I go about my way. I'm not either one. It says, no, there's always a distinction that is being made. So Psalm 1, we see from the very beginning, verse 1, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. We don't necessarily see the blessing until later in this psalm. But he says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This would be an example of parallelism. He's not saying, okay, there's three different things, there's three different ways in which we live that are wicked. There's, there's this counsel that we, we walk with, or there's this standing in the way of sinners, or there's a sitting in the seat of scoffers. That three, it would be, if, it, if it was that way, it would be great because we could just, here's a three-point sermon here, we just break it down, piece of cake, we go on our way. But he's not. He's, talking, he's not talking about three different actions that displease God. He's using parallel, parallelism to give us one picture. And it's this. It's this t- the totality of evil. It's surrounding ourselves with people who have a perverse way of life or whose ambitions and desires are not to please God. And I would even add to that. There are people who, and we, and we do this in, 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 in some ways, in small ways, in big ways in our own life. We profess Christ, but then we live like practical atheists. And so we may say, oh, I love Jesus, but then there's a system of, of belief or this way in which we live our life that isn't congruent with the word of God. So we've developed this belief that says, oh, if I do this and I'll be okay. And we live like a practical atheist. And so I would lump that in there as well. I remember this is a couple of years ago and I had a, I had a big decision to make. Am I going to stay and work at church or there was another company at Leap Supply? Was I going to go work at Leaps? And so I had before me kind of two options. Okay, stay at church, work at Leaps. Stay at church. Just in my human thinking, okay, realistically speaking, as a pastor, you know, you make so much money a year. We're not part of a church where the pastor, I'm going to be pulling up in a, a nice big Cadillac or an Escalator or something one day, like, that's never going to happen. That's the reality of being a pastor in the churches that, that we're part of. And so there's a reality that says, you know what, I'm just not going to make, you know, my income is going to increase a small percentage for the rest of my life. Or I can go work at Leaps where the potential is to make much more money and have, you know, all these things. So I'm communicating this to a person in, that we are friends with. And in his care for me and concern for me, he said to me, look, you need to go where you can make the most money that you possibly can because you don't know what the future holds. And you could have some really rocky times ahead of you. And if you don't have that money built up in the bank and that put aside to care for you and to really be there for you to fall back on, 
you're going to be in huge trouble. He's like, man, this is clear to me what you should do. You need to forget church and go work at Leaps. That is where you're going to have the most security. Don't you want to provide for your family? Don't you want to have some security? It's like, yeah, I do want to provide for my family. I do want a sense of, of, of financial security if something you know, tragic happens. The house burns down. Who knows what? We need to want to provide for the family and take care of our kids. But as I begin to think about it, it was a way of thinking that said, your security is not found in God. Your security is found in the size of bank account that you have. It's found in the job that you have. Look, man, you got to watch out for yourself. You got to get what you can while you can, because that is where your that is where your hope is going to be in the future. And it was a way of life that sounded it didn't sound that far off. He wasn't coming to me and saying, "Look, forget this whole God thing, man. It's much better to serve the idol of yourself and of of greed." And he wasn't presenting that. He was just simply saying, "Look, man, you got to watch out for yourself." No one else is. And it sounded so, in some aspect, right. And in some aspect, as we begin to think about it, it was, it was way off. Because it was a system of belief that did not have God at its center. And in the end, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was an atheistic, in a sense, system of belief. God's not in the picture. What's in the picture is money. And so that's what I'm talking about. Those kinds of, of thoughts, those kinds of way of, li- way of life that we can so often buy into because it does sound good. It does. I do want to provide for my family. But in contrast, in verse 2, he begins to paint a different picture. Verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We sang about this this morning in the song, This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is what he's talking about. There's a delight in the Lord. There's an obsession with God. There's just, there's just a life that is marked by God and by his word. When I think about this, there's a, there's a gentleman by the name of Bill Prince at Living Word Church. And he's an older guy. He's a... He's been serving the church for a long time. He's actually an elder there. And when I talk to Bill about Jesus, there is an obsession with God. There is a delight in God. He, he from, from a, many, many years ago, began memorizing books of the Bible. Not just passages, but whole books of the Bible. And he has given himself daily to the study of God's word and to memorizing it and putting it into his heart. So he knows huge amounts of scripture. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of books that he has memorized and he continues to go over and study. And when you talk to him about Jesus, man, there's there's an unmistakable joy that exudes from him that as he talks about the Lord. There's a depth and a richness to his, his prayer life. As you hear him pray, you're like, man, I've never heard anyone pray like this. He knows Jesus. So how do we delight in God's word? I think there's a couple things that we can practically do. Um, And this is all with the understanding of this. We can't work up enough 
willpower to somehow fall in love with God's word. If I just read it enough, then I'm going to love it. If I just do this enough, if I just, you know, work it up enough, and then I'm going to come to this place where I'm just, oh, I'm just meditating and loving and delighting in it. We say this with an understanding that unless the Holy Spirit of God changes our hearts, we will not delight in the word of God. There was a time in my life when I, I hated reading, period. I hated reading. I did not like reading at all. I went through most of college. I went, graduated from Purdue Cal, where I went through most of my college career not reading like anything. I, I'd buy the book because I had the best intentions of, of reading and studying and, and doing all the assignments. And I would muddle my way through the assignments and I would read like a page and shut the book and I'd literally be at, sitting there at the final thinking, why did I not read a single page of this? Of course I'm going to flunk. I mean, what am I thinking? And I hated reading altogether. And so the word of God was lumped in that. I just, it was reading. And I come to a place where I realized that unless I'm going to love this word, it's going to be a work of Almighty God in my heart, changing my desires. And so I went, came to a place and I just got on my knees before God and said, God, I need you to change my heart. Give me a love for your word. Give me a love to read. If I'm ever going to be, do any kind of leadership in the church or anywhere else, you, you have to read. You have to read. But specifically God's word. And so I, I asked God for that. And it, over time, God has given me a love for his word. He's changed the desire of my heart. That's not to say there's days when I get to work or I get up in the morning or, you know, and I was like, I don't feel like reading the word of God. It's not to say I don't ever feel that way. But overall, God has changed my heart by his grace and by the work of his spirit. I'll encourage you. If you feel that way, you may hate to read. You may not read the Bible. It may just be boring. Ask God to do a work in you to give you a love for his word. It is a good thing to ask the father. The father loves to get give good gifts to his kids. So ask the Lord for that. So what I'm about to say is with the understanding that we need to depend upon the Holy Spirit to change our desires, to give us that love for his word. But within the context of that, how do we, how do we delight in the word? I just wrote three simple things. This, isn't a, this is not an exhaustive list, but we need to learn it, read it, study it, dialogue with it, talk to other people about it. That's why life share groups are so great because there's other people reading the exact same thing that you're reading. They're, they're wrestling through the exact same things you're wrestling with. They're thinking about the same scriptures you're thinking about. And so you come to life share group, then you're able then to dig in and say, Hey, I've got questions about this. What does this mean? How do we understand this? And other people can say, Hey, I've got the same, th- I've been wrestling with the same thing. Here's, here's the thoughts that I have. Here's, Here's what, you know, we need to ask more people about. Here's, you know, we need to learn it. We also need to love it. Again, that is a work of a spirit in us, asking God to change our hearts, not just to read words on pages, but to see glory written across every line of Scripture. We don't want just to, to see words on a page. We want to see glory. We want to behold truth. That's what we desire. And that comes by a work of the Lord. And then lastly, we live it. We live it. And you know what? As we are 
as our hearts are being filled with the word of God, it will affect your life. It will affect the way in which you live your day-to-day life. That is the nature of the word of God. It does not stay dormant. It is living and active. It is at work, even as we read it. Okay, let's look at verses 3 through 5. Now we turn from blessed is the man. He contrasts this person who has surrounded himself and has filled his life with with a way of life that does not please God to someone who has given themselves to understanding and pleasing God. And he says, I want you to understand the outcome of these two different paths, these two different roads, these two different ways of life. There's only two ways. And he says, look, we're going to look at these two different paths and the outcome of their way of life. Verse three, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does. He prospers. So here we are. We're given a picture. We're given a picture. It's this tree. It's next to this, these streams and it's bearing fruit. There's no seasons of deadness or dryness. There's, there's, there's continual life. This is what it means to be alive. This is really living. This is what it means to, li- to live life to the fullest. Is when we have, we have given ourselves to delighting in God and his word, that is when we truly live. That is when we truly find the, the life of God in us. That is real life. And guys, if you have ever pursued something that you thought was going to be life apart from God, it could be something as easy and simple as a new car, a new TV, a different relationship. It could be whatever it may be. And say, oh, this will bring joy. This will bring life. And we get that thing. We get that new car. We get that bigger TV. And it, maybe for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, there's this, hey, this is cool. This is great. But in the end, it does not satisfy. It's not real living. It's not true life. It's not being alive. And this is God's intention for us. When we think about what God desires for our lives, it's I want you to live life to the fullest. And true living is not apart from me. It's only with me and in me and through me. This is where real life is. And now he begins to look at a different outcome of life in verses four through five. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Two different pictures. This picture of this tree, this picture of this chaff, this, this, this piece of, of grain that is useless, has no life in it. The wind blows, it's driven away, it's gone. There's no permanence. What might this look like for us? Well, it may look like for us trying to find life. And I have just three different things I think we could probably all relate to. We try to, how do we try to find life that is apart from God that only ends in this, in being like chaff that is driven away. There's not life found in it. 
three things, I, I believe. Number one is religion. We try to find life in religion. And that is, that was, that is this, life is found in what I do for God. So as long as I do these things for God, God will then be happy with me and give me the, either the desires of my heart, whether it be a TV or who knows what, or God will bless me with, with stuff or his presence. But it's got to be because I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm reading enough. I, I go to church every week. I pray most days and I, I've read through the, the, the whole book of Psalms. And, and therefore, God will be pleased with me and, and, and really give me the things that I want. We try to find life in what we do but we find that we never measure up because we're not supposed to. That is not, a, that is not given to us as a way of life that pleases God. That way of life actually displeases God. When we try to find our favor from God by what we do, we receive God's blessing and his life and his forgiveness because of Jesus Christ. And it's trust in his work on the cross for us. That is where life comes from. The next thing I wrote down is relationships. This is life is found in who I am with. Some of you are married. There's a temptation to find our fulfillment and our lasting happiness and joy in our spouse. But we find out there are seasons of great joy, but there's seasons sometimes of, of hardship, of frustration. And it doesn't bring ultimate life to us. These relationships are only to point to the ultimate relationship that we have. And that's with Jesus. That's not the end in and of itself. Even with marriage, I think there's a lot of single people here. You know, is, is in your singleness, there's this, this hope well, of laws. If I can find a spouse, if I can find a husband or wife, or if I can find a boyfriend or girlfriend, that, that's going to bring me happiness. That will bring me joy. That's where I'm going to find life. And we find out that those relationships are not meant to bring us ultimate life. They're only to point us to the ultimate relationship in Jesus. Number three I wrote is materialism. Life is found in what I have. This is what I have. We give ourselves to desiring a car, bigger home, next vacation, new tools, new photography equipment for your wife's business, um, <laughs> whatever that may be. There's a temptation for us to try to find our joy and hope and happiness in those things. The next thing. But we always want the next thing, right? We never get, you may buy a big TV and then your cousin comes home a week later with one just a little bit bigger. And you're like, I'm totally unhappy with what I have. I don't want the 54 inch or whatever. I want the 60 inch. That's what's going to bring me happiness. This TV that I, was, I thought was so great a week ago is like puny, man. This is like, why do I even waste my time with this thing? I need the 60-inch TV. It happens all the time. We're never at a place where we're like, oh, I have enough. We talked about that, I believe, last week. And what God says is this way of life is futile. It's futile. It's futility. This is a life of futility. We try to find our life in those things because we're trying to find life apart from God. We're living like practical atheists, trying to find life apart from the Lord. 
So we're being presented with two different ways of life, two different in- outcomes of our life. And we're asked to discern, are we walking righteously? Because he says, I want you to understand the outcome of your life. And I want you to discern, are you walking righteously? Because in verse six, we're going to see this. Because God discerns between the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. God discerns. God makes a decision. God makes a judgment here. Verse six says this. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Verse one, blessed is the man. How is the man blessed? We, our understanding of blessing so many times and being in North America, our understanding of blessing is either financial or it's, you know, it's relational in terms of good relationships around us. And that's our blessing we get. When the Bible talks about blessing, blessed is the man. He's not talking about more things, better relationships, health. What he's talking about is always in terms of God. He says the Lord knows him. That's the blessing. And it's not a knowing like tomorrow I know the weather is going to be 75 and sunny. And I know that the Bears are going to win today. The Lord willing, (laughs) the Bears win. It's not like that I know. What he's talking about in this word of know in the Hebrew language is about relationship. It's about friendship. The way I know my wife, the way I know my kids. He says, God knows the righteous. There's a, there is a relationship. There's a fellowship there. That he says, I know you. I know you. That is the blessing to be known by God, that we can know God and be known by him. The overarching, overarching theme of the whole book of Psalms is that God delights himself in his people and his people delight themselves in their God. And here we have it. This is it. The Lord knows him. There's a delighting in God and there's a God delighting in his people. That is the blessing. That is blessed is the man is the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But he doesn't just know the way of the righteous, but there's a way in which the wicked person, it, their life ends in destruction. It ends in destruction. There's, there's no life there. It is, it, is, it is destructive. So the Lord asks us to discern our lives. Are we found as righteous? Are we found in Christ's righteousness? Are we walking righteously? Because the Lord makes a discernment and says, this is the outcome of this. I know the righteous. I know my people. And we cannot walk righteously unless we have been found righteous in Christ. That is, that is our hope. Our hope is to walk righteously because we have been found righteous in Christ. And he gives us the strength and the desire and the power to walk in obedience to him. That is our hope. Let me ask you this. What path do you spend most of your time on? When you evaluate your life, people you're with, the counsel you take, the kind of systems of your life that you've built around yourself, the way in which you understand truth and reality around you, is it built upon God and his word? Or is it upon something else? What, is, what, is, what path are you on? Are you on the path of wisdom or the path of folly? 
How would you assess your life and the outcome of it so far? Do you find your life as one of futility? Trying to chase every new thing? I just get this. I'll be happy if I get this. If I go here, take this vacation. It's always this one other thing that we need for our happiness. Do you find that being your life? I want to encourage us. We're going to take We're going to take communion in a moment. But this is an opportunity for us to ask God to help us to bring conviction and discernment in our own hearts so that we can repent and get right with God and ask him to do that work in us. And so we're going to do this and I'm going to pray. And I would ask you just to take a moment and ask God to search your heart and appropriately bring conviction where we need to, we need to get right with God and repent and receive his grace so that we can walk in obedience and be not only found in Christ as righteous, but walk righteously before God. So Lord, this morning we just take a moment and we would ask that you would bring your spirit to pinpoint areas in our life where we have walked in folly. Lord, where we have walked in a way that does not honor you and ultimately does not lead to the life that you give us desire for your people. And Lord, I pray that you would grant us the gift of repentance. That we could fall at your feet. Acknowledge where we have been wrong and where we have sinned and receive your mercy and grace and forgiveness. That we would walk before you, finding our greatest joys and delight in you. And Lord, thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ that makes this all possible. It's not what we have done, but Jesus, it is what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord.